Hello and welcome back to Inside the Click. I'm Monica. I'm Michelle. And we are your weekly resource deep dive into the creator economy from a data-driven lens. So we have a pretty cool episode this week. We dive into one, what's going on in the space, i.e. it's a little quieter, which is to be expected in January. But we also talk about if you're on the cusp of really going full time and wanting to make it big, what are some things that you can do to set yourself up for success, even when you get a little frustrated? Yeah, this is a really good episode for those of y'all in that phase. Let's do it. Woo woo. Have you been noticing that things are a little slower in the industry? I feel like things are slower in terms of like news, like buzziness. Yes. Yeah. There's not a lot going on, but I mean, with the exception of LTK, I feel like they've had an announcement every week. Yeah. They've had announcements, but it hasn't been as flashy Yeah, as it was at the later part of last year. Yeah. Which I think is the time of year. I feel like this time of year is always so dead. Mm-hmm. Because so many creators are finally taking off from the holidays, like January is their holiday. And I think all the other companies are the same way. Yeah. I follow a lot of agencies or like creator marketing companies on Instagram, and they're all doing their retreats this week. Yes. So I see that too. LTK's doing a big one. Yeah. Um, And then I've seen some smaller ones like, go do their team retreats. So I think that's probably why it's so quiet too. Yeah. When it comes to actual content creators though, even though it is quieter in, I guess, like the public broadcasting space, this is when some of those brand deals need to be locked down Yeah, because you need to plan now for four to eight weeks from now. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And it's like circling back on those brands that you reached out with that didn't have budget left for the rest of the year because maybe you reached out to them too late last year. Like going back to those instead of even like starting from scratch of completely different brands, like start with the ones that you did already talk to and then it didn't end up quite working out because of timing. Those are probably the ones that you will lock down the fastest. Because you already got so far in the conversation. Yes. And because brands, a lot of brands, right, fiscal year is going to end in January, they are going to have more budget to even try new things. So (laughs) if you want to test out partnering with a new retailer or even using a new technology, now is when you can do that a little more freely versus... Once the year is halfway done and brands need to start like tightening their belts, then that's when you have less flexibility. Yeah. I've heard that in the last few months, creators are getting frustrated because they're not getting as many paid partnerships as they used to be. And that brands keep saying that they're offering gifting. And at first, People were like jumping to the conclusion that it was the economy, but it's like every single thing that you look at about the economy, like we got to stop blaming that. Like 
that's just when it comes to influencer marketing for other things. Yes. When it comes to influencer marketing, I think we've all proven that that's not the case of something to blame, but apparently there's been a big spike in new creators in the past few months. And those new creators are just really excited to hit the ground running. And so they're accepting all the gifting. They're not pushing back on brands and saying even like, give me $200 in addition to gifting. They're just really eager and are just like gifting. And because the trend is going towards micro bloggers having higher conversion, more engaged audiences, brands are just like, okay, I mean, we're seeing great results just by giving someone gifting and then posting one link. Like the deliverables are sometimes less, sometimes not. But basically, these brands are getting away, or I wouldn't even say getting away with, but they're seeing similar to same results by just gifting. Right. And so it's making really established creators who like this is their full-time job very frustrated because it creates more negotiation. And it's it's really the creators that are in that in-between space. Like there's obviously a subset of creators who they can lock in those $10,000 for an Instagram story overnight. Like they're just in this constant year-long contract with these brands. But it's the in-between where you are doing these one-off negotiations and usually on your own you might not have an agent those are the ones hitting that roadblock if anything this just demonstrates why there needs to be some sort of a community and representation and actually i just yesterday have you heard of the creator it's on linkedin it's like some sort of creator guild creator the creators guild of america oh interesting so i just followed them on linkedin yesterday and it looks like they're about a year old okay they have two to ten employees so very small but it says the creators guild of america is the first official 501c6 nonprofit organization that protects and promotes the interests of digital creators interesting this is why we need more of that Because, and it was even the same way when I, when I got my yoga teacher training certificate, how it's like, if people accept very little pay, then that affects the entire industry because why would someone like, yes, okay. The instruction is better from a seasoned person that charges what 90 an hour or something. But if they can get someone at 15. Yeah. They're yeah. like, okay. Right. Great. So many people are not going to know the difference that you can just grab the other one. Yes. So <sighs> what are the requirements to join the nonprofit? Let's see. Or the, I don't want to say union, but. So if anyone wants to see, it's creatorsguildofamerica.org. Um, the first thing on their website says protecting and promoting the rights and financial interests of digital creators. Love it. Mm-hmm. So they follow four, <laughs> four pillars of advocacy, platforms, content, people, and education. Interesting. Okay. Let's see if they're, 
So they do have sponsors. Okay. Um, I just clicked apply for membership and it's literally just submit your payment. <laughs> oh my God. Like it's not even a form. It's literally just pay $99. Well, oh wait, no, but it says, please be sure to review the eligibility requirements uh, before okay. applying. And then if you don't think that you meet them, which we should look at what the requirements are, you can be an associate. So okay. associates, you can access events, newsletter, and connect with peers. Oh, wait. Okay. Not FAQs. I really want to know, like, what are the requirements? Oh, what are the requirements to join? So if you go in the FAQs, it's the third from the bottom. The CGA represents three categories of members. Media. So it's on-screen talent and individuals with significant audiences. Marketing production, distribution, and design in makers, founders, developers, and producers. Eligibility requirements for each category are mandatory for membership, and all applications are reviewed by respective CGA peers. Interesting. So They're probably figuring it out as they go. Yeah. I mean, I do like, there needs to be things like this, and this is partially right why we're doing this, is yeah. to be able to provide some sort of community or insights and making it feel like you're not on an island. I definitely yeah. think that this would do that to an extent. Maybe we should reach out very... and see if they want to be on the podcast. Maybe they can explain cool. a little bit the website. That be <laughs> like, do you want us to set up analytics so you can see where people are going yeah i mean we can we should definitely like add them on linkedin and see if they want to come on yeah because i'd be so interested there definitely needs yeah, to be I've things like this things. yeah so a month ago they posted about diversifying revenue streams not super insightful i mean i think everyone knows <laughs> you need to do that but oh three months ago they posted that they're starting to build out its membership offering. So okay. very work very in new. progress. Yeah, very new. Yeah. Well, but yeah. Definitely worth checking it's needed. out. It's for sure needed. Yeah. I don't know that like too early to be like, y'all should join. Yes. You have, <laughs> everyone should know it exists. Exactly. It's out there. But yeah, I don't know if. If you're just getting into this especially, or if you are trying to ramp up, giving them money when it's not super clear what they're doing, but definitely be aware. Yeah. I don't know what you do, though, if you're in that situation. Like, you're just starting out versus being on the cusp mm -hmm. versus being established. It kind of seems like the being on the cusp people get a little screwed. Yes. Yeah, that's the hardest part. And I think that's where most people quit because it is the most discouraging part because it is like you've put in all this work, all this energy, and you're still not getting paid for it. Right. And then it's like you have a breakdown and you're just like, why am I doing all of this? And I just keep hitting roadblock after roadblock. And then that's when you quit. So what are some things 
because this is always going to happen. And I've even heard that this happens with engineers. Like everyone always thinks that being an engineer is a super secure job and there's a ton of engineering positions out there. Yeah. But what will happen is people will accept very little pay. And so if a company is trying to save money and they have someone who is willing to do that work for less, you do have to work to get in a good situation. And actually someone um, that I used to work with, her husband was an engineer and like he was going through that where she's like, he wants a new job, but people that are willing to accept very low pay keep beating him out. Exactly. Yeah. So this is always going to be there. This is just how it comes to life in the creator industry. So what are some things that you can do if you are in that middle space, you want to grow, but you're in a spot where right now you're frustrated? I think the biggest thing is finding other people who are in your shoes and creating that little like friend network to just kind of like build each other up and to stay focused because no action is going to be the secret sauce other than just staying in the game. So if you can lock in that group of friends who is in the same phase as you, then that I think that's what's going to keep you like in the mental space to keep going. I don't think there's really, I think there's like a subset of then there's different actions to like throw darts at and see if that works. But I think you're not even going to start throwing the darts unless you get into the right mental space. Yes. Essentially being inspired. You're finding mm -hmm. a community where you can all inspire each other. Yeah. And that not is, feeling alone, like, oh my gosh, all my friends are so successful except for me. Like, truly find the people who are at your place. You obviously always want to also be connected and friends with the people who are, like, where you want to go. That's absolutely necessary, but I think that there's different times when sometimes you just need to feel not alone and, like, other people are also in your shoes. I love that. In this industry, it can sometimes... Not to say that everyone is doing this, but if you're going into business for yourself, you can oftentimes see other people that are doing what you're doing as competition. Mm -hmm. But Monica, like you mentioned earlier, this industry has so much growth. There is literally room for everyone. Yeah. So how can you get in a spot where it's like you don't necessarily see your peers as competition? but as that inspiration and you can all lift each other up. Yeah. Like this that is, is really, yeah. yeah, this is an industry where literally there's enough room for like a, a pet lizard to have a hundred thousand followers. Like if there's enough room for humans plus dogs, plus cats, plus birds and monkeys and goldfish to have, a following like there's so much room for one more person to post about their house or their outfits or anything like that if yeah. there's room for reptiles there's <laughs> I promise there's room for everyone 
<laughs> well, and that's interesting because when it comes back to the content that like even let's say the reptile owner is making, it's compelling content. Yeah. That's so all it, people care about. Yeah. People want to be entertained. And I still really like what we were talking about last week around how the products and stuff are the secondary characters. Yeah. It's like the narrative needs to be something else. Exactly. Like guarantee that for the lizard, it's not like, oh, here's the rock I'm sitting on. You can buy it from Amazon. Okay. Like it, it's more about like what the animals are doing. Yeah. And, and then the byproduct is that there's going to be probably 60% of those people find it entertaining. And then the other 40% find it entertaining, plus also have a pet lizard. And then they're going to be the ones to comment where do you get your aquarium or whatever <laughs> they live in? And then that's when you throw in the links and then you take that as a guide to then talk more about it and why. I think that what I'm seeing being so powerful this past year is people letting their audiences guide their content when it comes to the selling piece. So not necessarily the part about the storytelling and all that, that's all coming from within, but letting the audience then dictate what to share links on. I love that. And also in that, I know that we keep going with this lizard example. I did not think that this would be <laughs> I don't what we were talking about. Lizard. Like, <laughs> I don't know where that came from. I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's some great lizard influencers out there though. But I think that let's say, what did we say? 60%? 60, 40, just, yeah. Yeah, like watching it for entertainment, 40% like are the actual people who really relate to it. There are also different ways that you can engage each part of that audience. And so really taking a look, and I know that we talk about analytics a lot, and I think that's another foundational piece, right? Like one, you need to be inspired. Two, you need to understand who your audience is and then what is working. And if you can get that, like for the 60% of your lizard audience that is just more entertained, there's a different way that you could engage them in different ways that you could lightly promote products to sell to them. And you could still make a very good earning if that creativity and then I guess like products that are appealing to that audience if you yeah. do it right. Yeah, because then you have the breakdown. So like let's take out the 40% who already have the lizard. So we have that 60 that's just watching. Maybe 15% of them now are inspired to get a lizard and now they're going to be asking you about like, all the beginners things so then now there's content about how to become a lizard parent <laughs> so insane i like totally like wanna... i really could have just said dogs <laughs> the one like... thing that i do think i know is don't they shed or is that just Real, snakes i don't know i do know that when i was in third grade i wanted a pet gecko and my parents really did not want me to get one but like i just like 
that's all I wanted was a pet gecko. I don't know why. So we go to Petco or PetSmart, whatever, and we're looking at the geckos and the lady goes, oh, and just be careful. You don't want to grab them by the tail because their tail comes off. And I was like, bye. I literally, (laughs) I was out of there so fast. I vividly remember her saying that and then me just like, walking away from the tanks just like no don't need it anymore actually to bring it back to dogs a little more relatable yeah but we did that when we were so right now right we have an english bulldog we were debating like french versus english and obviously you want to do it ethically you need to know that they are expensive yeah And there's a lot of nuance that comes with it. Like I clean my dog's nose folds and like eyes and ears every single day, every morning. She's a princess. Yes. It's just, it's part of the, we call it her (laughs) beauty routine. But we watched a lot of videos on, our source was YouTube, but this could literally be on any social media platform is we did tend to gravitate towards content creators that were talking about like 10 things to know when I will always remember one, 10 things like when getting a French bulldog and she talked about something called a tail pocket. I don't know if you have heard of this. I will spare everyone the details, but it's basically a gap in the tail and body that can get clogged. So owners do need to clean that. And so that was actually one thing when we got Pearl, I was like, okay, where's her tail pockets? <laughs> but she doesn't have one, luckily. Oh, so I'll have one. Correct. Um, oh. But that's something that we got from a content creator. I think that we, at the time, now we don't, follow her but we were and she had a lot of useful content and even some of her product recommendations like you need these wipes we did end up buying that now not necessarily from her because I don't even think that she had like affiliate links but you do tend to trust people and this goes back to even with athletes right if they are a high performing athlete and they're promoting a protein powder or they're promoting like some sort of equipment that they use, you are going to be more likely to buy that because you're like, well, it works for them. I trust that versus just some random endorsement. Same thing with like those everyday items that you use and then people will see you using that and then be more likely to purchase that because it's that like secondary character in their life. Yep. I completely agree. I was at dinner two nights ago and we were kind of talking about this in the fashion context because my friend had started doing a lot of fashion posts because she felt like that's what you can monetize. So she felt like if I'm going to do this creator thing, I have to do fashion. I like fashion, but she doesn't like fashion enough where like she's always shopping and talking about her outfits she doesn't like it that much but she felt like if she was going to do this she needed to do something that was monetizable and 
it goes back to really what her thing is, is like just being relatable and storytelling like pieces about her day. And she has a comedic aspect to it that's entertaining. But she was putting all the effort behind posting outfit posts because she thought that that is how you like how you make it worth it because you're doing something that's directly tied to making an income. And she realized that was really not filling her cup. And what was filling her cup was just like showing up and connecting with her audience. And she found that when she was doing that, and then when someone said, where's that shirt from? And then she posted the link to that shirt. She had the highest conversion that she's had. That converts so much better than just trying to force something that isn't quite you because I also think people can feel it on the other side of the camera. Like yeah. everyone kind of has their superpower and what comes very naturally to them and what magnetizes them to other people. And when you're not doing that, I think people also feel that just as strongly. Agree. But it's not her fault that she tried that first approach because I think so many creators who are very established, that approach worked very well four years ago. And a lot of them don't really have the personalities to transition to do something else. And so that's just what they keep doing. But I was like, from being on the inside of the industry, those are the creators that I see who are seeing the highest decrease in earnings. And something else that I feel like people sleep on, but it is, but don't overlook home. Yeah. Because something else, when it does come to your strategy, right? Okay. Posting like an Amazon bodysuit, sweatshirt, whatever, that is a bit more affordable. And especially like, I mean, even with me, my style is very plain. Like I don't have a lot of intricate, expensive things. So if I were to post that and you think about your commissions, it's just a smaller slice of pie. When you are thinking about like different products and different things in your life, if someone buys a couch, then you're just like, oh yeah, like my couch, it's so comfortable after the long day. Like I'm obsessed with it, whatever. If someone's buying Let's say that you link to a $5,000 couch. You don't even need to sell that many of those. You're going to get a lot of money. You don't even need to sell the couch. You just need someone to buy a bar stool instead. And that's still going to be significantly higher. And same thing even with technology, right? Like if someone does go to Best Buy and they end up buying like a TV and I don't know, good headphones or something, you're going to get a big chunk of that commission. And so some of those things, while yes, in the industry, I think that the default tends to be fashion, clothes, all of that. There is a lot of opportunity in some of those more niche, but high ticket items. I also think that if you're in like that middle space where your audience isn't quite at a place where they just buy every single thing that you post. Linking to multi-brand retailers 
you're going to have a much higher conversion rate because even though they might not buy the thing that you posted, you could be their last click for another purchase that they're making two days later, three days later from that website because it's a website that they just happen to shop weekly or monthly. So you're going to see a higher conversion rate there for sure versus um, like linking a shirt to Cezanne where you really do need to be in a place where your audience is buying that exact product like when you post it. You'll get there, but you're better off sharing a link to Nordstrom when you're in this in-between phase because you might just be their last click and two days later, they're like, oh shoot, I forgot I did need socks. And then they buy the socks. So also think about it that way. You're opening up so many doors to just kind of get the ball rolling and keep be consistent in your earnings. And then once you do start to see and you, there's platforms that will like Howl right now does allow you to see cart insights where you can see the actual product that the shopper bought. And once you start to see the progression of, okay, my shoppers are buying random things, not necessarily my link to, oh, they're buying the exact item that I linked to. That's your sign that then you can start pivoting to those single brand retailers that are a little bit more niche. Yes. And I think we talked about this in one of our first episodes, but if your audience converts really well on Nordstrom, let's keep using that example, then that probably means that they have an account and like they're hooked into that platform and they don't have to enter their credit card information, like sign up. So just something to think about with different single brand retailers literally go into their experience and set up an account and look at like how easy or difficult was this? Could I just like link Google or did I have to do this really long 10 step process? A reason I think why Amazon has been the most successful at starting their own affiliate program is because I heard a stat, we will need to fact check this, that it's like 70% of the population uses Amazon. I feel like that's probably correct. Yeah, I believe it. That's a reason why you see so much success on that platform. Because if you just get someone to Amazon, chances are they're going to buy something. Yes. So, and it's not necessarily the thing that you were promoting, but you just happened to get them there. And then they're like, oh yeah, I needed." lizard food, (laughs) whatever. But it all goes back to like, I think that everyone likes to think that they have a bunch of sway in their audience's lives. And that is true to an extent, but at the end of the day, you also have to meet them where they're at. Yeah. And that's why I think this evolution in showing cart insights is going to be pretty big for people's strategy because I think it's going to open up a lot of creators eyes to what people are shopping and how they're actually shopping because I think still to this day there's a lot of creators that do think that when you make a sale it's because they bought that exact product and 
once you start diving into your cart insights, you will see that there's a very small group of creators who I've seen, and I have seen literally the insights of every top creator you can imagine. There's very few of them who quite literally on majority sell the exact product that they link to. And that's not a bad thing. No, it's not a bad. It's a good thing because imagine if you were only earning on the thing that you actually share, like that would be a bad thing. It's like, thank God that you are able to do that. And it just gives you so much information. And I like the the opportunity of being able to see one, what do people buy together? Because that can even inspire you, right? Like, oh, people are buying, oh my gosh, I want to think of like a better example. Like people are buying bowls and spoons together. Yeah. So it's like, okay, and that makes sense, but maybe you wouldn't have thought about that in the content that you're posting. And it's not, it's not to say that you need to post all the links, right? Because then when you, when you get them there, they're going to buy these things together. But it's like in the off chance that someone didn't click on the bowl, but they click on the spoon, that is how you're grabbing that sale that you would not have gotten. And so being able to form those connections. And then I even think taking one step back and looking at your actual post what did you post? And also, you know, what product did you link to? But then what are people buying and connecting that? So let's say like, Monica, what you were saying, where it's like, okay, I I think that every time that I'm posting like a winter coat, I'm getting a lot of purchases. So people must be buying winter coats. But in reality, they're buying hats and mittens. Like, that's what you're going to be able to get insight into. And then it's like, even that tells you different things about your audience. One, coats are a less frequent purchase. They're more expensive. So understanding that people are buying like a more low price point item more frequently, there's so much more that you can do with that as well. Exactly. And for the multi-brand retailers too, it'll also tell you if they have kids. Are they really shopping for themselves because you posted a you posted a dress? Models, yes. Or are they clicking the dress, but at the end of the day, they're checking out with two toddler outfits and they're really not shopping for themselves. I love that. Because you can do the thing right where you ask your audience questions and there's a poll, like, who are you shopping for? But I guess like one, it's specific to at that moment in time, mm-hmm. like, what are they doing? But then two, like, maybe you're not going to get a ton of answers and it just gives you being able to see what they bought gives you a direct line into what is actually happening. Yeah. I really like that. Because even if someone is answering your poll question, there's internal bias within themselves. It's like asking someone, do you partake in self-care? And they say, yeah. And then if you really drill down, it's like, when was the last time you did something for self-care? And they're like, 
three months ago. You know, there's always that perception that we are doing X, Y, Z, or it's like, even like, if you think about what you're eating, you might say like, yeah, I've been eating really healthy lately. And then you decide to do a food journal and you're like, interesting. I, I thought I was eating really good lately, but (laughs) maybe not. We all have this perception within ourselves and that's, what's going to guide that answer. Whereas like cart insights is truly just facts. When I worked at, um, Droga five, I did a lot of audience segmentation and I loved finding things like that. Like one of, um, two of the questions, like we would use, um, syndicated data where basically people answer these questions in these big booklets and they compile it two times a year. Um, and it connects behavior stuff to like income places where you live, all this stuff. So we would start a campaign by being like, okay, who are our people? What are their motivations? And one of the things that I would love doing was looking up, like, there's one example I have where the question was, do you donate to charity? And of course, everyone is going to say like, yes, I, I donate to charity. But then there's another question that's like, in the past six months, have you donated to charity? And so looking at those things, right? If people say that they're charitable, but then they haven't, like, it's not to say that's bad, but that tells you, yes, it tells you something about who the people that you're targeting are. Yeah. And then make better decisions that way. And you could even, if you have access to the cart insights, you could even take a look at that and then pull your audience and try to create some of those things yourself. That is a really interesting way to not only use data that exists, but get more data. Agree. It would be interesting if you, so let's, let's keep using the home example. If you're seeing your audience by like a lot of, I don't know, maybe like paint, new furniture that would imply that they're doing like a home renovation or they just moved or something. And so then you can pull your audience. That's like, Hey, curious in the past few months, have you done a remodel? Have you moved? Are you just like living your life? And then I'm like turbo tax right now. (laughs) I started my taxes yesterday. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I don't want to do that. (laughs) Mine was, mine was good mainly because of the influencer stuff. That like I that helps balance out just like regular salary taxes when you don't have anything like children or anything that's you can write off. Like it it is nice to have a kind of like two parts that then help out with the taxes. Yeah. I wanna see more stuff around the move. I know. I was gonna post or actually I did post this morning another thing about the move. But then I was like, oh my gosh, am I overdoing it on the move? But because I'm at such a standstill right now where it's like, okay, I'm packed. Okay, now I'm waiting. Waiting. Like I can't really but the movers do come next week, which is kind of useful. Because I still yeah. don't have a place to live. I think moving tips. are 
so valuable. Yeah. And especially right now where we have a huge generation of renters. Yeah, no, it's so true. Have to Where are the more. renters to rent my house is my question. <laughs> There's, I, so, someone said that the other day. They were like, yeah, I mean, this is so great because everyone's renting. I was like, okay, well, where are they? Because I need one. I need one. Just, Wait, just is your place that. listed yet? Mm-hmm. It's been listed since Thursday, last Thursday a week. Okay. Has there, have you gotten any interest? I've had one showing and they went with a duplex instead of a townhouse, but they did say the price was good. They said the price was good and they really liked it, but they wanted two stories instead of three, which fine, whatever. Wow. I'd rather that be the feedback than the price is wrong and these 10 things would need to be fixed to make it livable kind of thing. You know, yeah. like I'd rather take that super niche feedback, but it's like, it's crickets provided we had that winter storm over the weekend. So no one was doing anything. No one was leaving the house. I was walking with my mom yesterday cause it was back up to 50 degrees and someone walked past us and my mom was, she was in town from Kansas city where it's been like negative 25 as seen in the football game she looked at the girl and she was like why is she dressed like we're in minnesota and as we were just running around dallas like people are in like beanies gloves as bundled up as she can be and it was like 45 50 and she was just like she was in a light jacket (laughs) she was just like what is happening i was like i know we're very sensitive here that is awesome and Dallas shut down Monday and Tuesday. Yeah, everything was shut down. Some places were still closed yesterday. My mom's like, but there's there's no snow. There's no ice. <laughs> so when I worked for Chewy, they had they had a Boston office and then they had an office in Florida. Uh-huh. So I went to Florida a lot. And my old boss, she went to school in Boston. And then she lived in Florida and she, I think they had a bunch of Florida people visit Boston during the winter. And she said something, she's like, you get so soft so fast. No, you do. I, in high school, I would literally go to school in 10 degrees and be like, I don't need a coat and I don't need leggings under my cheer skirt. Like I'm tough. And yesterday when I was walking with my mom, I was like, this is miserable. I don't want to be on this walk right now. My ears hurt. My face hurts. <laughs> Completely uninterested in this. <laughs> like you really do get soft so, so fast. One thing though, I have a theory because growing up in Chicago, I very similar, I yeah. think to Kansas City yeah. where oh, it's just cold. Yeah. So cold. Even living in Boston, like that weather, yeah. way worse. Um, like I think even one other thing, going back, you realize that in that type of a environment, it just once it gets cold, it stays cold and everyone's cars get caked in salt. Yeah. And that's just yeah. what it is for like three months versus yeah. Boston, the weather is very up and down. So we a week ago. Don't get used to it. Yeah. 
Right. Like we got, I think probably like five inches of snow. And then the next day it rained and it all went away. Yeah. And it was crazy. So it does really fluctuate. I also think there's something about a Midwest mindset where Midwesterners don't really complain. Like Midwesterners are just like, this is it. We're doing like it. There's something about that compared to other places that are just, I don't know. There's just something about Midwesterners that really put their head down and just like power through. Yes. And I think that that also eliminates the chaos, fuzziness of like, oh my God, it's so cold out. Like everyone's just like, it's cold out, period. Gotta do my stuff. And I think. That's why also you even see like when there's a winter storm on the East Coast and one in the Midwest, the Midwest is so much more brutal, but you're only seeing chaos of people on the East Coast. Even though like it could be the same exact weather and one is more chaotic than the other. And I think that so much of it is literally just like Midwesterners just being like midwesterners and yet like accepting it yeah but one other thing though so on the east coast it's not it is common but at least where i live right it's super old yeah we don't have a garage yeah in the midwest like most houses i think do have a garage like at least one right and in the suburbs you have to take your car everywhere yeah So I think that that does alleviate some of it. One thing that I do not understand is how people would live in Chicago without a car and do the winter. I think that that would be like absolutely miserable. My brother does that. Well, he has a car, but he lets his girlfriend drive it. And I'm just like, this sounds absolutely awful. I literally got him electronic hand warmers for Christmas for when he works, waits for the train because I was just like, no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. So cold. Walking in Chicago is not a joke. When mm-hmm. I went back from college for over like one winter, I remember walking across some bridge <laughs> and it was like the one time that like, I could not breathe. Like, you could not breathe. You can't breathe. Exactly. So beyond it hurting your face. Like, you literally can't, like, breathe in the air. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I know exactly that feeling. It's brutal. Miserable. Just, no. I could, Chicago's never been on my list of, because I think what people don't understand too about the Midwest is how much more brutal it is than again the east coast like it's it's a different winter like you're still getting snow and all that on the east coast but midwest especially chicago because again the wind and And the the water because you're right by like the combination of all that is colorado is warmer than chicago like you go skiing in Colorado, and you're going to be probably still 15 degrees warmer than what Chicago is. Oh, no, no. 
can't do it. Yeah. Well, hopefully, if you're listening to this, you're in somewhat decent weather or you got this far to listen to exactly. us talk about it. Um, but keep your lizards warm. Yes. Keep your lizards warm. Keep following people that you're inspired by their life choices. And yeah, find a community. I love that. I think that's so great. Yeah, if you're new here, follow us so that new episodes come in your feed. And like, rate, review, all the things. And have a good rest of your week. Thanks.